Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Bo and Johnny, and we've got kind of the, this is the, the two weeks before we get ready to play the game, the Rose Bowl game. It's, has it, do you have some juice for it yet? Or is it something that will happen? To me, John, it always happened after after Christmas. That was when I started to focus in a little bit on the bowl game. I appreciate everything Ohio State's doing. I love like the coach challenge stuff that they're putting up on social media. I think that stuff's all great. We got National Signing Day uh, coming up in you know Wednesday, um, so so that'll be a very big deal for that first National Signing Day. But in terms of the actual Rose Bowl game, it seems like we played the Big Ten Championship game like six months ago, and <laughs> and then we're you know and I know it hasn't been that long, but it feels like it to me. And then we're going to play a Rose Bowl game in a couple of weeks. So it's it's kind of a weird thing. I don't really get too juiced for it until maybe like the week before. How about you? I, you know, I think what I try to do is I want to make Christmas kind of so I want to enjoy Christmas on its own merits. I don't want to try to get too into it. Yeah. But I also like to try to remind myself that college football is a thing that exists and will be soon torn away from us, you know, for yeah. many, many months. And so I try to honestly in the weeks before Christmas, I do try to get a little hype for it to look as much yeah. information up about it as I can kind of slowly build towards the game. And yeah, I'm kind of pumped for it. I mean, look, it's it's not a playoff game, but it a Rose Bowl game still holds some allure to me yeah. personally. I'm not going to fault a player. Uh, that's kind of a wink maybe at a conversation a little bit later on in this podcast, but <laughs> uh, I'm not going to fault a player for maybe not having the same kind of emotional tie to the game that I might, but I, I have a lot of good memories of Rose Bowl games. I've well of two Rose Bowl games uh, in my younger days. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for it. I think it'll be fun. I think if you're of a certain age, um, probably if you're over the age of, well, let's see, the BCS has been in place for, what are we talking about? 10, 15 years. Yeah, so if you're, like if you're over 25, uh, it's probably over 30 for sure. I'd say if over you're 30. over Probably over 30. If you're over over 30 for sure, and you grew up in Ohio or you grew up in Montana where I did, the Rose Bowl game was the one that, that's a monster. I mean, that yeah. was the monster game. Now, um, even for me, it didn't quite have what it did for you guys because it seemed like when I was a kid, there was a steady diet of 9-3 and three Michigan versus 10-2 uh, and two UCLA. I mean, there was a lot of that because it was always locked into Pac-10, Big Ten at that time. You didn't get it was never a national championship game. So like the national championship games were Florida State against Nebraska or Notre Dame, Colorado or um, Miami against Alabama. And those games are always in the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, Miami, Penn State and the Fiesta Bowl. So the Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl and Sugar Bowl always had what felt like the national championship game in it. And the Rose Bowl was, you know, this this game that was kind of the the operative if you will, like it was <laughs> the, the big game came later. It was always the primetime game on New Year's Day where yeah. it felt like the national championship. I mean, I can just go through them in my head, whether it was, you know, even when I was really, really young, I remember watching Nebraska against Miami in the national championship game where Turner, I was maybe six, where Turner Gill misses uh, the pass on fourth down that they go for it to win it. Um, and, and Turner Gill misses it and, and they don't, you know, they don't score. And so Miami wins a national championship. So that, that was a night game. The orange bowl was always at night. The sugar bowl was always at night. And the Fiesta bowl was almost always at night. So this Rose bowl game was kind of like the game that got you to that game for us because it never was a national championship. And I don't think it was until 2005, if I'm correct. Yeah, right? it wasn't so much later. Yeah, USC Texas was the first time that it was the true national championship game. 
Yeah, I, I didn't even so. realize that, but you're right. Yeah. Now there's been Big Ten teams that had won national championships. Michigan in '97, of course, won the national championship, playing in the Rose Bowl against Ryan Leaf and Washington State. But they had to share the title that year with Nebraska. So it wasn't. It was never the biggest game. Like it was, but what it was was it set the table for that game, and it was without question always. If you were a little kid growing up in a whether a, a forbidding midwestern, uh, you know, January day or a cold <laughs> freeze. Your, the hair off of your sack Montana winter, what you would have was this beautiful vista and you would have that sunset and you would try to wrap your head around palm trees so high that they would peek over the top of the stadium. So you had that. And if you could transport yourself from those locations that you and I grew up in, that's the place that you wanted to go was that place. So while I do not have quite the tie to it growing up as you did, it was always the second game. The first game was whoever's playing the national championship, and the second game was the Rose Bowl because it looked unlike any other game. Well, one of the things that you mentioned, I don't know if this is like, I don't know if this is really a thing or not. I don't know if this is something that I'm just talking out of my butt about. But when I was a kid, and even in, I guess, in through college, you really didn't have a lot of this, but most of the games that are being played are day games right like you're not yeah. going to have when i was younger at least you're not going to have a lot of night games in the big Ten. that's not really something you're going to see a lot of and oh, it almost no. felt uh -uh. like yeah right and so it almost felt like the rose bowl where you have this like you said this magnificent setting it's in the late afternoon at the end of the game it's kind of like dark it, it just felt almost like the the perfect ending to a season when ohio state was able to get to that game and i remember my first uh, the first Rose Bowl that I remember, obviously, was against, you know, Arizona State, and that was an incredible comeback. I remember watching it with uh, my dad and betting him five bucks that Ohio State would come back and win it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, against against Oregon, which was a huge game. But it, it just feels like it's got this uh, kind of different quality to it than all the other games that you would experience during the regular season. Now, that's changed a lot because of how they – you know, do night games now and, and how they pump up games at the beginning of the season. So I think it's lost kind of that mystique a little bit, but it always felt like this premier like game that, you know, BCS or whatever aside or national championship aside, it just felt like this premier game that you wouldn't be able to experience during the regular season. And I think that's part of why it had that big mystique for me, especially as it was like, I really want to see Ohio state in the Rose bowl. Cause that's like the coolest bowl that you can be in. And even when they were in the BCS and, and playing for like the Fiesta bowl for the 1500 time, I was like, man, I'd really rather this be a Rose bowl just because yeah. it, it just feels cool. It just feels better. And that's why I have that connection to it, but I don't, you know, obviously things are different now with the playoff and everything like that. Yeah. But I, you know, it, it's the, the environment, the setting is still magical. In my opinion, it's, it's one of the best things in college sports. So, well, and I think the reason I'm lucky enough to have covered all of the, the big bowls and, and been to many of them on several occasions. And the one thing about the, the Rose bowl is different than the others. It's different when you cover it. It's different when you go to it. Much of that is the fact that it's at the same place. So you and I grew up watching the Orange Bowl, and it was the Orange Bowl. It wasn't <laughs> right. where the Dolphins play. Right. And you go up watching the Fiesta Bowl, and it was in you know Tempe. It wasn't you know some monstrosity in Glendale. So so that's part of it, right? Like it's still the exact same place. That picture perfect setting remains, and that exact structure remains exactly the same. There's something so dignified about it. It's always the Rose Bowl game, you know, presented by whatever. It's not the FedEx Orange Bowl. The Rose Bowl's name comes first. The logo stands on its own. The way that they've done the sidelines for 100 years 
how they take the the end zone colors all the way down the sideline. It's all unique. It's all beautiful. The the turf is perfect. Uh, it's all it's it's all of that. It is better. It's a, it's a better bowl. It's the best bowl you can go to from the standpoint of um, the experience watching the football game. There's not a bad seat in the place. It's just a classic old bowl. It's great. And so I wish that Washington had a little more juice for this game. <laughs> yeah. That's what I wish. I I wish that I wish that we could have gotten uh, you know one loss Washington State and Mike Leash. I mean. While Washington has gorgeous uniforms and are a, they're a formidable program, there's nothing that is exciting about Chris Peterson, and there's nothing exciting about this Washington team. Now, it, it's probably going to be end up being the second best defense Ohio State faces all year, um, and so that you got that going for you, which is nice. But the truth is, the best defense you faced all year, you scored 62 on. So there's not a whole lot of fear for me going into this game that it's going to end in anything other than a pretty convincing Ohio State victory. Yeah, I mean, Washington has a really good defense. And, you know, like you said, that that is kind of a moot argument when you're talking about what Ohio State did to the last elite defense that they faced. I do think that they're going to have to get a little creative. But what's interesting to me about Washington is I believe that, I mean, Peterson, maybe it's just residual, you know, Boise State adoration coming from me but I feel like you got these two buddies who are going against each other you got Peterson and and Urban Meyer it's Urban Meyer's last thing I feel like both these guys are going to be pulling out all the stops like I think I think they're going to be ridiculous and I hope they are I hope I hope this is just fun bowl of the entire football season because you have coaches and players especially on Ohio State side that are capable of just doing ridiculous things and frankly what is the what is the harm in just pulling out the dumbest, most insane plays that you have just kept in your back pocket for whatever reason? There's no reason not to just go nuts at this point. And especially no, with Herbert Meyer, like, I'm sorry, if you've got something dumb that you're really like you've been playing with or something really silly or goofy, for the love of God, do it. Like, there's no reason to win this game safe. So hopefully both coaches realize that. And it's it's as entertaining as it should be. Yeah, I th- I think that that's in play. I mean, this to me, this very much is an exhibition. Yeah. Um, this this really there there's this is old school bowl in the oldest school of ways, right? I mean, this is you know, let's go have some fun in California and have a nice and and a and it'll be what ends up being a you know a, the finality of the final days of Urban as the Ohio State head coach, and I think that's what this game will be sold on is this will be the final game Urban Meyer coaches at Ohio State. And it'll be the final game I believe Dwayne Haskins will play. We know it's going to be the final game Mike Weber and Draymond Jones are going to play to the surprise of no one. You know, it's interesting about Mike Weber. He is only 150 yards from having 2,000-yard seasons at Ohio State in three years as a player. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty considering, that's pretty awesome. yeah, he timeshared twice. Um, you know, he had a thousand as a redshirt freshman after redshirting, and then uh was down to around six fifty last year when we all thought he would go pro. Then this year he comes back and runs for he's at eight fifty right now. If he gets 150 yards, he'd be two time thousand yard rusher at Ohio State. That's a pretty damn good career. Um, you saw on Instagram Dwayne Haskins said, Come on, Mike, one more year. I don't <laughs> read anything into that at all. Um, every every draft board that I've seen has Dwayne as the first quarterback off it in the last two weeks. All of the momentum has gone to him. I cannot see in a scenario where he returns to play another year at Ohio State. I hope I'm wrong, but it would be a real upset to me if if his final game wasn't in the Rose Bowl. I, he's not coming back. 
have I've had this I've had this conversation with like five or six dudes, and they're like, "Hey, it's, there's always a chance." So like, no, there's not. Just stop it. Don't do this. Yeah, to yourself. don't don't do it to yourself. It's just easier. And it's and look, enjoy. it's fine. But that and that was my and I know I'm getting heated about this, but that was my entire point last week, which is look. If you have this mind-bending, insanely historic season out of an incredibly awesome, talented quarterback, why in the hell aren't you pumping it up more? You're no, not going to get Dwayne Haskins. Yet. He's not coming back. So just enjoy it for what it is. Don't don't bring yourself stupid trying to say like, oh well, maybe if this does like no, just just enjoy what you have while you have it, and that's that's all you can really ask of a player. Yeah, he's not coming back. He's gone. No, of course not. I I think that. What what happened with him as you get more and more time separating it was that uh, the coaching staff at Ohio State and the people in public relations at Ohio State who are pushed by the direction that Urban Meyer wants them pushed, mm-hmm. uh, they were so busy putting out fires and trying to rewrite a narrative as it, in, in respect to Urban that they weren't aware of this kid. And because they weren't aware of this kid, the national people weren't aware of this kid, What's what is ironic about it is is the local people on the beat were keenly aware of Dwayne Haskins. Like, I feel like I've been saying since like, God, September, like, and I'm sure you were too, but like on the radio show, on any platform I had, like that kid is going to be a first round pick. I mean, I felt, I just, you could tell he just was different. And I, I feel like the people who covered his week to week games were aware of how great he was, but yeah. the national people were not, and he was largely ignored because I think the the Ohio State people, the coaches, and the the PR people were too busy trying to rewrite the narrative around Urban that they didn't bother to pay attention to what this kid was doing until my God, the Michigan game. It was like, oh yeah, I guess you know six touchdowns and four hundred yards in the Michigan game. Maybe we should talk about that. Well, he'd been <laughs> doing that all season. Yeah. No, I mean, we were, you know, obviously on the site and, you know, on, on here, clearly, I mean, on the dubcast, we were shouting that from the rafters. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, what is, what's the song? You don't know what you got until it's gone. Yeah. And that poison poison song, yeah. I think. Yeah. One of the, yeah. one of America's great ballads. Frankly. They really, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not, I don't know. It's per, that's the first time it's been called that. Good job. It's really, it's really our good. second. It's our, it's our second yeah. official national anthem. That's, that's yeah. All. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you've got all these assets, you've got guys that you know are gone. You've got players that you're pretty sure are gone. Yeah. Just, just have fun with it. I, I would hate to see. Here's here's my nightmare scenario. We get to a bowl that's incredible. We've got a player coming off one of the greatest statistical seasons in college football history from a quarterback. Uh, you've got, you know, all these guys that, you know, are going pro who are really great to form the core of, you know, wide receiver group and a running back group and all this other stuff who are leaving. Uh, and then you have a game like last year against USC where nobody decides to do anything in the second half and you just sit on their chest for like, you know, a 14 point win. I would be miserable if that, that happened. game, it's so interesting. Out, you, it's so interesting. You brought that game up. Just interject for a second. No, go for it. I, I can't I can't recall anything that happened in that game other than Sam Darnold getting picked. <laughs> I, know. I can't tell you. I don't remember a play of it. I know I sat and watched it. I know we talked about it. I yeah. know all of that. But in terms of like try I have no recollection of what happened in that game. And I can any bad. game that they've played that was in the in a in a game like I could go back and tell you every play in the in the Ohio State Oregon Rose Bowl. I can tell you every play of that, but I can't tell you what happened last year against USC. That was the most forgettable bowl game for two monster teams. I mean, those yeah. are monster teams. It yeah. was just entirely forgettable. 
yeah, that was that was a miserable game to watch. And it wasn't, I mean, the thing is, is like it's not like there aren't narratives that we we try to look for stories and things that we look for in these games and whatnot. And I think there was there was that they existed. I mean, you had JT's last game and all this other stuff sure. going on. But Sam if the Darnold. product yeah, if the actual the game. game isn't worth watching, nobody's gonna care. It doesn't matter yeah. what the people involved are. Again, you could have Dwayne Haskins and Paris and all these other dudes and all these other guys who are going to do great, amazing things in the NFL, and you are coming off incredible seasons, and it won't matter if it isn't interesting. And that's why I just pray that the head coaches of these teams understand that, yes, this is an exhibition. Let's try to put on – let's exhibit what we're able to do on a really fun and interesting level. Because, like, you know, if Washington loses the Rose Bowl to Urban Myers, I say, this isn't affecting recruiting. This no. isn't changing national perception. No. Like, nobody cares. Like, let's just have fun with it and have a cool, interesting, awesome game. That's what I want. Yeah, I think that I think you'll get it. I think that you'll get a pretty chill urban. I think you'll get, I think it'll be really fun. I think the one thing Urban is trying is very conscious of and has been conscious of, even to a detriment at some points this season, is how he's remembered in his legacy. I don't yeah. blame him. He's an all-time great coach. Like he's an he's one of the all-timers. And he's trying to make sure that that legacy is appreciated. As I've said to him a thousand times, it will always be appreciated in Columbus, Ohio, and you got to stop worrying about everything else. Um, but but I think that you will see in the lead up, you know, like for our guys who go out there and cover it, I think you're going to see people. I think you'll see a smiling urban. I think you'll see an urban ha- that has fun. I think you'll you'll see playful urban, you know, which is something we haven't seen. But yeah. I think you see a lot of that. And I think that for the most part, Everything that happened this year will be overdone and forgotten. And and this will be about, you know, the end for him and kind of his coronation as as of, of his Ohio State career uh, and, and the end of it. And so I, I think that it will be I think he'll have a lot of fun. I think he will bring out the best in Peterson. And I think, you know, Jake Browning can throw it around. So I think you will see a light up. I think you'll see a lot of points and I think you'll see a light up the scoreboard type situation. I don't think you're going to be. There's, of course, you want to win the game, but honestly, like you said, it's not going to hurt Washington to lose to Ohio State. It wouldn't lose hurt Ohio State to lose to Washington. Like right. this is the end of a book, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no. Whatever happens going forward is the Ryan Day program. This, this stops. This train stops January first, Pasadena. The Urban Meyer train stops. Everybody gets off, and then you get on another train. So th- this will have, to me, this will have no carryover at all to next year, positively or negatively. So it truly is. I mean, that's what I say. I mean, it's really an exhibition. It's an yeah. exclamation point on the Urban Meyer career. That's that's the best it can be, and the worst it can be is a a, a game in the Rose Bowl that you that you lose and you forget. But I don't. I mean, that's not going to happen. But that's there's really no negative to this game. I don't yeah, see I it. See. I don't know why you'd get too stressed about the game. I can't exactly. imagine Urban having one of those stress headaches in this game. <laughs> I want to see, you know, I want to see a Kobe Bryant final game, shoot it mm-hmm. 500 times, force mm-hmm. see who cares? Just just go crazy, go wild. I you yeah. know, I, I think don't that's worry about any of this other stuff. Yeah. Just win I'm by with you. points. I don't care. Yeah. Like I guess what I'm saying is and ultimately, like if you're talking about legacy and whatnot, Urban Meyer I think what people will remember most about him uh, in terms of his complete football legacy is his uh, transformation of the offense of college football. I think it is something that's, that looks much more like it does today. And then what he was able to do with the teams, he was able to do it and when he was able to do it and where he was able to do it. And I think, you know, Ohio state, 
being one of the best passing teams in the country and barely running it and then doing all this read options. Like just the statement of a program and institution like Ohio State, which is, you know, has three yards and a cloud of dust tattooed on its ass. Like I <laughs> to have Urban Meyer come in and do what he was able to do, I think is his his statement, his mark. And I think his last game should reflect that. So like I said, I hope they air it out. I hope they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and it's it's a fun game to watch. Um, you know, because it is it's the end of era. Like you said, it's the end of the book. You're closing it on it. You might as well do something goofy. Yeah, I, I think I think Urban Meyer, if he's never coaches another game, is is positively is going. We know about the negative stuff, but from a and that stuff's going to be brought up. Yes. But the positive stuff will be what you said. It will be this was a guy who won a national championship playing spread option football in the South. Yep, in the SEC. Nobody had done that. Nobody thought it could be done. I was there when he got hired. Nobody thought you could run the spread in the SEC. The athletes were too good. Now, all of a sudden, everybody ran it. Everybody runs a spread in the SEC now. Before he got there, nobody did. So he was a complete trendsetter to that point. He will be known as someone who modernized Ohio State football. You went from a coach who said the punt is the most important play in the game to <laughs> Urban Meyer at his introductory press conference saying, I think any any play in which you score is the most important play in the game. Scoring a touchdown is the most – that's a complete change in philosophy, and it tells you everything you need to know. And then finally, I think the next thing will be he modernized the Big Ten. He forced – I think you'll look – people will look back fondly on the impact he had on the Big Ten of forcing people to pay coaches, pay strength coaches, for better or worse, to play assistant coaches and facilities, to have facilities that could keep up. And so you could keep your coaches up here and and have a chance in recruiting against the teams in the South. Those will be the things that and, – and just a, a ferocious winner and competitor. That you know That's going to be the legacy. And in Columbus, that will stay there. That narrative will be that way. In other places, it'll be very, very different. But like I always said, that the only thing he can worry about is Columbus. And to to sum this thing up, our conversation up, there's nothing that can happen in this Rose Bowl that changes any of that. No. That'll all be true. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, it it's really has an exhibition feel to it to me, John. I mean, it really feels like just kind of, hey, let's go have some fun. Like, there's really no stakes. Right. And that's and that's what I'm hoping for, that they realize and just, you know, again, have some fun. It, it, the Rose Bowl... It, look, if this is like the Music City Bowl or you're in Memphis or something like that and you're trying to like wring some joy out of a miserable bowl that's at, you know, 3.30 on a Thursday or something, then, yeah, I get it. But when you've got a, a atmosphere like this, a stage like yeah. this, the stakes are super low. Just go for broke, man. Like, there's no point not to. So, Oh, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. You know Ohio State fans are going to travel like bananas out to that yeah. thing. Yeah. It's going to be a nice vacation for a lot of people. Go to L.A., have a good time. Go to the beach. Go to Rodeo Drive. Enjoy yourself. I mean, I, I think yeah, I would imagine those tickets are last time I saw they only had a few left and I'm sure they're gone by now. So, yeah, I'm sure that wow. they get gobbled up. So that'll that'll be very good. All right. Uh, still to come. We're going to touch jump in on the Ohio State basketball team in the early part of their season. Uh, also, ask us anything before we do that. They'll be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers and more dry goods at 11warriors.com. And don't forget to follow the 11 dubcast on twitter and rate and subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcast buckeye basketball against youngstown state tomorrow i i will be very candid with you i have not watched ohio state basketball and poured over it like a fine-tooth comb i've watched many of their <laughs> games i enjoy what i've seen it is a typical holtman uh program he he has a ethos they will get after you defensively they will score in myriad ways not one player are they too dependent on uh, it's going to be a different player every night, and oftentimes this year it has been. He is building a sustainable program. You see it in recruiting. 
he has the Midas touch when it comes to uniform selection, playing at St. John, <laughs> playing the teams in Cincinnati and the team. He's coming up and he's going to play up at the queue next year. Like he's got everything sorted out. He, it, Gene Smith absolutely crushed this hire and deserves credit for it. We will find out, though. I always feel like with Ohio State basketball, be relevant January 1st when the football team's done playing. They will be that. They're 15th in the country right now. Be relevant, and then you have a chance to own January, February, and March, and they're in position to do that. Yeah, well, look, my favorite part about Chris Holtman's teams, I, I'm not well-versed enough in, in the ins and outs of basketball to tell you about, like, you know, well, they, they make sure the five goes to the three and all that. I, I have no idea about that. But what yeah. I do like is the fact that there is no fear in any of the teams and any of the games that they've ever been in. They get down 10. They don't care. It doesn't no. matter. They know they're mm-hmm. coming back. They get down 18. They're like, fine, let's hit some threes. Let's see what happens. They are just the most – and this is going to be kind of weird, but they're when they're on the court, they're the most positive-thinking team that you can see because it doesn't feel like they get rattled at all. Like, they just don't. And if, if a guy isn't shooting – CJ Jackson goes one for eight. He's like, you know what? I'm hitting this three at the end of regulation. It's fine. And they don't seem to have any kind of like self-confidence issues or they don't seem to get down on themselves. Like they just have a mission that they're on. And look, they didn't play an amazing team, you know, coming off of, of their break, right? Cause they've got finals and everything like that, but they played a much better team than most other programs would a team that would oh, actually yeah a challenge and I give them credit for that. They're not, no, they're not playing a world beater, but they're playing a team that's going to actually like challenge them a little bit. And they had to, they had to wake themselves up in the second half. They came back and they won the damn game. And you know, they're minus three teeth and a couple of people getting some eye, you know, some, (laughs) some, uh, some black eyes and stuff like that, but that's okay. They, they persevered. They won the game. That's a Chris Holtman team. That's a Chris Holtman game, like par excellence at this point. Um, I was a huge fan of, of Joey Lane uh, sending out a little Christmas cheer to his teammate, Andre Wesson with uh, putting all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth on uh, his Twitter <laughs> feed, which is pretty slick. Um, so yeah. yeah, you know, it's, 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 it seems like a very self, uh, a team with a lot of self-confidence and a team that just doesn't get rattled at all ever. So I just, yeah, no, I, it is, it's all those things. He's, he's, he's had the right touch on almost all of it. It's been great. And I, and now we'll get into games that really start to matter in January and you get through this Christmas holiday and then you get into the big ones and, and then you'll be able to pour over it. You'll be able to pour over, you know, a, a date in Bloomington or, you know, th- those are the type of get the East Lansing trip. I mean, those type of things are going to be the ones that, that are going to be fun to, as you look at the schedule going forward and, and you get a real feel for what this team's all about. The big casualty, of course, has been the, you know, the, the, the Rutgers and all this nonsense that you got to do. So you lose some of those traditional big 10, um, you know, Nebraska, you lose some of those traditional big 10 games that you grew up on, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, you'll persevere and you're going to have a team that's going to be there. Now, the next thing for Holtman in the program, Johnny will be now you have expect, like there's been no expectations. There were none last year. Right. And, and right. we said it this year is be a bubble team. Well, they're far above that. So then next year it'll be, all right, get to a sweet 16 get to an elite eight because Thad immediately had that because he recruited the Thad five right, right away. You go to a national championship game in year two and the feeling is, well, hell now we got to get to final fours every year. So because there wasn't that right away, Holtman to this point, hasn't had to coach with expectations. I imagine he will have to coach with expectations next year. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you know, you, you hire these guys at the marquee positions at Ohio state to win championships like period. Yeah, and we're in the Big again, 
Yeah, well, and that's what I'm saying. Like in in college basketball, you know, you're not winning, you know, the NCAA tournament every year or anything like that. But it it obviously has a different dynamic than college football. But yeah, you want to be there for the Big Ten tournament. You want to be there for the Big Ten regular season championship every season if you can. And you know, you see, I mean, we talk about how teams or, or programs like, for instance, Michigan have experienced this, this market decline in football. Basketball, I Michigan, look, they've had some success in the past, but I don't think they've ever had the kind of sustained success that they have under John Beeline right now. So I just, you want a coach that can get you there and challenge and be competitive and make some noise in March. And you're right. That remains to be seen. We, we've the first year. Awesome. A plus second year looks like it's going really, really well, but the expectations ramp up every time you do that. And for Holtman, they're going to be sky high in the next couple of years. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll start to come. You see it in recruiting and you see it in the way that they play. And so it'll all start to come together in the next couple of years. All right. Before we wrap this one up, my friend, do you have any ask us anything for us? Yes, we do. If you guys would like to continue to ask us anything, which you guys were so gracious uh, this week, you can send us questions to uh, dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast. Um, I'm going to start, we'll start with some, uh, email questions here. This is our good friend, uh, Alvin. He just wants to know, what do you think Ryan Day's schedule might be, or excuse me, record might be, uh, next year. His schedule looks uh, pretty promising. Boy, you, you're going to know, I mean, just, I guess I'll answer this based on who I think will be playing and the quarterback position is going to be a real challenge. Yeah. No matter what. So, um, yet it still is. I mean, I'm trying to think Michigan will be back. Penn state's got to replace McSorley Alvin with it. Boy, this is usually like a, this is usually like spring football type stuff. I'm trying (laughs) to think about trying to project ahead to next year. Look, you're still Ohio state. You've still recruited a very high level. I mean, I think probably 10 and two, nine and three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I well, would you go as low as nine and three? Cause I think some people might be pretty, they might be a little put off by that. Well, I think you better have real ex- realistic expectations. I mean, you're either yeah. going to have play. I mean, look, it's either ball. I mean, Martell, like, I don't know that either one of the guys is going to be able to sling it. Yeah. So, and I don't, you know, I just haven't seen enough of those quarterbacks with Baldwin or Martell to let me know that, you know, that I don't, I, I know that the schedule is very hospitable, so that's good. But I mean, they're going to get challenged against Cincinnati. I assure you that. Yeah, that's going to be, so, no, that's going to be real wild. Yeah, so I mean, I think let me pull the schedule up. Do you have we got of- FAU? It's FAU, Cincinnati, Indiana, uh, Miami of Ohio, okay. at Nebraska, which was could be a trap. So that'll game, be a challenge. Yeah, Michigan State, uh, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Maryland at Rutgers, Penn State. Last two games, Penn State and then at Michigan are going to be rough. Um, Those should be rough. Penn State has to replace McSorley, but I know they like that quarterback that they have. Um, behind him who's waited yeah. a long time get him at home um, which is nice yeah yeah i mean I, I i think you could have three losses in there yeah no i, I, mean, I, I actually I agree think, with you i think two or three losses would be reasonable in your yeah. one so here's the thing so i've i was asked the same question by just like a, a couple of different people actually and that was my response i said like maybe nine and three i think nine and three is probably like a definitely within the realm of possibility i think it's probably the most likely record yeah. and they looked at me like what are you talking about 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, nine and three. I mean, you get you got to go at Michigan, which sucks. You've got a you know you've got a team uh, in Cincinnati that's rising up, which would be horrific to lose to Cincinnati. I'll get all about that next. We'll talk about that next season because I have so many reasons why you cannot lose to Cincinnati in football. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh man. Uh. But yeah, I mean, you've got you got to still got to play Penn State. You've got to go uh, to Nebraska, which could be rough on the road. I see possibly three losses there, and people look to me like, how is that? Like that's Ohio State doesn't lose three times in a season. I'm like, well, <laughs> guess what? That's that could happen. And I just what I think's interesting is that, and I was I was talking to my wife about this last week. It was like, I think Ohio State fans sometimes are so spoiled they don't even know that they're spoiled. You know what I mean? Like, well, and Urban took it to a whole nother level. Right. I mean, this is a whole nother level of spoiled. Yeah. You know, so I mean, this isn't realize. even like we were spoiled with Trestle. This is a whole th- something else. Yeah, and so um, if, if the idea yeah. that a nine and three record is just completely out of the realm of possibility for some people, I think I think some people might be in for a rude awakening next season because that could yeah that could happen. That could definitely. Oh, happen. I think yeah, and I now I I think that it I think that even with Urban, it was going to be a real rebuild because yeah. this to me the Haskins situation reminds me very much of everything I heard about the Mike Connolly situation at Ohio State that they didn't recruit anybody behind him because mm-hmm. they assumed he'd be there a couple years. Right. And then it took him two or three years to finally get dig out of that. And I think the same thing is true of, I mean, they didn't think Dwayne Haskins was going to be a one and done. No, they didn't not when they recruited him. No, no, no. So even going into this year, they didn't think so. I mean, I no. think they've done everything to keep him down from making him compete for the job with, burrow and and martell even in the fall like they've done well, everything yeah, to for, keep him down from some of the comments they did that even during the season frankly right so it's just absurd so i mean i thought for, i think for sure they thought they would have haskins for two years yeah. and they wouldn't have to worry about quarterback next right. year so even if urban was there this was going to be even if the schedule looks cupcake i mean you saw some of the struggles they had this year and that was with <laughs> dwayne haskins and urban meyer and you're not gonna have either one yeah yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting season. And I think people need yeah. to maybe temper their just because of the turnover, Absolutely. not necessarily because of the talent, but just the turnover and personnel and all that. It's and it's especially at that position. Yes. folks, we've gone from Braxton Miller to JT Barrett to Cardale Jones to JT Barrett to Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> like that's not who's on the roster now. You don't have those guys. Yeah, that's a run of luck at the quarterback position that I don't think really many programs are going to have outside of like Ohio state, Alabama, maybe a couple other. Yeah. And, that, and and honestly, for a lot of those guys, like th- their talent just perfectly fit the situation. And you know, that's why you got in 2015 kind of this up and down thing, but like, yeah, it's, it's, you're going to have to sometimes make a square pig fit into a round hole and it's not going to work out perfectly. And, and that may be the case next season. So, um, so this next one here, this is from Scott. Scott wants to know. So Gene Smith was talking. He actually he gave a uh, an interview with uh, Briggs over there at the Blade, which was great. It was a really good piece by him, and he mentioned that the guys on his uh, his radar when they were looking for new coaches was obviously Ryan Day, but you've yeah. got Stoops, Bob Stoops, Babers, Dino Babers over there at uh, Syracuse, uh, Matt Campbell, of course, at Iowa State. And then he mentioned a current NFL coach. He didn't say head coach, but he did say a current NFL coach. Um, for I guess he kind of has a two-part thing here. First of all, on the uh, available names that were mentioned by Gene, you know, do you think that was the right call? And then also, do you think Vrabel was the guy that Gene was referring to in the NFL? 
Uh, yeah, I think Vrabel probably. I mean, that would if if it, if because didn't he say he was a current NFL head coach? I don't know if he specified. I tried to find that. I don't think he specified head coach. I think he just said NFL okay. coach. Uh, okay. I don't know who yeah. else it would. Yeah, I, Mike Vrabel would never have considered it, so I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't Vrabel. I think naturally you say it's Vrabel because of, of the ties, but Mike would sure. never leave coaching the Tennessee Titans to coach Ohio State as much as he no. loves Ohio State. Like he's, he's not going to get back into recruiting and dealing with eighteen year olds. Like it's not happening. Right. <laughs> um, so I I don't know who the NFL guy was. I said this. We, we did this. I think it was last week on the pod, or might have been the week before, when we talked about. Um, I think that they should have kicked the tires on people. Like, mm-hmm. I think you should have, if Bob Stoops would, was interested in that job, I mean, Bob Stoops is, is pretty damn, he's a hall of fame coach. I don't know right. if he's interested. I have no idea, but like, I would have, I would have made that call and, and I would have found out if he was, um, and I would have done the same. I would have talked to Matt Campbell too. Um, and so I, I think he should have talked to both of those guys. This, I, we said this, we've said this many times, this, a lot of this, there's so many factors to it, but m- some of it is this is Gene saying very clearly, this is my hire. And this yeah. is his this is his legacy hire. He's never going to get credit for hiring Urban. He'll get he- credit for hiring Chris Holtman, but he can't build any buildings. So the only thing that he can do is, in terms of long-term, is hire the great football coach. And so this is his shot at that. And if Ryan Day hits, and I think there's a real good chance he will, then there's going to be a lot of credit coming Gene Smith's way. Yeah, I you know we, we talked a lot about this a little bit last week. Uh, as you mentioned, I, you know, what's interesting to me is I understand that there have been coaches lured from the NFL back to, you know, the college ranks and whatnot. And obviously there's several examples where that's been wildly successful, you know, with guys like Saban and whatnot. But like, I, I don't know how, and and this is not me like being speculative or, or confused. I genuinely don't understand or know what a college would do for an NFL coach to try to lure them back. I don't know, because like you said, with the whole, you know, having to deal with 18 year olds and and recruiting and all that, I think if you're a semi-successful, at least a semi-successful NFL coach, I don't know how you approach that NFL coach and say, Hey, you want to deal with like way more headaches and have way less institutional control over what you do. Like, I don't know what you say. The appealing part that they, well, here's what you would sell. You would sell the, you'd sell them power and you would sell them concrete, complete autonomy over their roster. Like Urban Meyer, for the most part, identified player went and got player. Right, you can't do that in the NFL. That makes so sense. that's that's what you would sell. And it, and in the NFL, coaches are recycled every two years. Look at Lincoln Riley. Like he's the head coach at Oklahoma. The Browns would die to hire him, and he's not going to leave. He's going to stay no. in Norman. And you say, well, you're right. leaving Oklahoma. You won't. You're not going to go coach Baker Mayfield, the best young team in the NFL. No, no, I'm staying in Oklahoma. Why? Well. He's got them to the playoff two years in a row. He's won two Heisman trophies with his quarterbacks. He's got it set up to where he can win there for 15 years and make seven, eight million dollars a year and be the king of Norman. Like yeah. there's no security like that in the NFL. So that's what you sell. But for a guy like a lot of it's makeup, like Mike Vrabel is not someone who would want the headache. No. He didn't like the headache when he was here. <laughs> you know? Well, no, because it was I mean, and, and he came because he's got his, you know, he's got his buddy as head coach and, and he's yeah. comfortable with that. But because Beyond that, you're right. There wasn't a whole lot of incentive for him to stick around and say, like, oh, yeah, this is my passion. I really want to be in college and have to deal with this crap. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think, yeah, the control over your roster and then also, you know, the the ability to kind of, like, you know, have to deal with some of the other headaches is, is really important. 
Um, this is interesting. This is another kind of coaching question. This is from James, and he basically wants to know what can Ohio State learn from the case studies of the two secessions that he feels are similar to Meyer today. So he's got Miami, Butch Jones to, to Larry Coker, which started great and then meh. And then Oregon, Kelly to Helfrich, which started great, but then ended really badly. So what mistakes? <laughs> both of those in both of those instances. Uh, the people I was around Miami when that happened with Coker and Coker won the yep. national championship. Butch yep. Davis didn't, but he won with Butch's players. And then at um, at Oregon, um, you know, you you go from Kelly to Helfrich. And I remember being at the Rose Bowl and covering Chip a little bit. In both of those cases, you replaced dominant personalities. Butch Davis was a dominant personality, and you replaced him with an absolute dud. Larry Coker, God bless him, the nicest man ever, but he was not somebody who could sell kids. He was he was not somebody who was going to get out there and recruit at a high level. He was not somebody who was going to sell that program, and the exact same thing is true of Oregon. Chip Kelly, for whatever you think of him, is a dynamic personality, and Mark Helfrich was much, much less than that. So yeah. what do you learn? You hope Ryan Day has a hell of a personality. And like I said, <laughs> the, he's got a long way to go there. You know, like there is not right now, there's not gravity. There's not gravitas when he walks into a room that can change, but that's something that's going to have to come. Well, so you're right about that. And then I think, you know, to the more immediate point, which is something that we talked about last time, you know, it, it also is important for recruiting as well. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing, it's one thing for a coach to be able to like make an impact on national scene, you know, in terms of media availability and whatnot but you know if you've got a recruiting class that starts to lag and then you get another recruiting class that starts to lag and then a couple years in advance you're like oh crap what's our roster gonna look like two or three deep or even one deep in some cases then you've got issues and so you know we were talking about this last week you know you've got to be able to put those rings in some form on the table and people to go look you got to come to play for ohio state and you know when we look back at urban meyer night we'll do more of this obviously after the rose bowl but you know, when we look back at our Meyer, I think the recruiting is going to be a huge part of the story at Ohio State as well, where you just have number one class, number two class, number one class over and over and over again, and all these great record yeah. setting, you know, numbers and stuff. And if Ryan Day, I mean, it's it's kind of foolish, I think, to expect him to replicate that, uh, at least exactly. But I think the standard is pretty damn high. And I think if Ohio State fans learn to love the punt, after you know like during the jim trestle tenure i think ohio yeah. state fans learn to like really be obsessive even more so about recruiting during the uh the urban meyer tenure because i think they they have made that you know connect between great recruits and great results on the score sheet so yeah and, and i think that's going to be one of the biggest things that ryan day gets scrutinized about at the very beginning because you're not going to have results on the field to really like analyze you're just going to have recruiting wins and losses Right. So that's and then, and like we talked thing. about, yeah, we talked about this last week. Like he's got to identify what his recruiting philosophy is. Yeah. Urban Myers was limitless, limitless. I mean, he, could, yeah. he would recruit anybody he wanted best players in the country. I don't think you can do that right away with Ryan day. And you have to remember as an Ohio state fan before you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't wear Ohio state. No, 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 no. <laughs> you did not do that before urban got here. Right. You didn't exactly. That's not you had you a did. witch. You had a literal witch in Jim Tressel who did literally everything for the team and could coach guys up with threes or what you don't ha- you don't really necessarily have no. that right. Jim got fives like he got Terrell Pryor, but he was from he did, Pens- yeah. he's from Pittsburgh. Like there were always ties. Mike Adams was from Dublin. Like there was always a tie. There was something like that. Urban Meyer went and got kids that had nothing to do with Ohio. The yeah. Best kids of the country. Like that's 
that's different. And you're going to be competing with those kids with Saban. And, and so you got to make sure that you can do that. And like Lincoln, right? Like you got, before you go into Texas, make sure that you get the best players in Ohio, because I think the recruiting philosophy has to change. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, last one, just real quick. I'm going to pick one of two from Evan because I'll save the other one for later. But just real quick, uh, Mr. Bishop, you are you are a Heisman voter. How does one become a Heisman? What what, what is that? How does that happen? What do they do? They come so, to your house with yeah. like a giant check? Like, <laughs> no, there was. Um, so there was the way it starts. Is you can pretty much be one as long as you're in the media in one way or another. You can kind of be one forever. You don't get kicked out of it. Yeah, the only way that you the only way you get kicked out is if you give up. The only way you can get kicked out is if you give up your vote before the Heisman announces. Like they're okay. very big on that. Like you can't talk about people do it and then they lose the vote. So that's the one thing. Like they you, the Heisman announces the Heisman. That's the thing. So I had um, someone who appre- must have appreciated my work in Columbus when I first moved to town and uh, said, "Hey, you know, we had an open spot in Ohio." We need another Heisman voter in Ohio to help because basically the voters are spread out throughout the country. Um, So and the fact I think that I I was an AP college football voter in Florida when that when that vote really mattered. And I think the fact that I was that added to it. And so they approached me and said, would you like to be a Heisman voter? I said, well, of course, it'd be so much fun. Of course, I'd love to do that. And so that's how it came about. And then I've done it for about 10 years now. All right, so there's no like skull and bone rit- ritual where you're no, like, no, there's, no there's nothing yeah. like that. Paul Feinbaum shows up in like red no. robes and he's like intoning. No, know, no, be- none of that. No, hey, you seem like you're competent. Do you want to vote for the Heisman? Yes, I do. <laughs> but there's only one gatekeeper in like each region. So like if that guy doesn't like you, then you have no chance. Oh, well, then I got to I got to be best friends with that guy. And I'm just going to vote go. all defensive players and punters. That's all. That's it. So, <laughs> if I can do that. I voted def- two. I voted two defensive players. Number one, I voted in Dominican Sue, number one at Nebraska. And mm-hmm. I voted uh, Manti Teo, number one at Notre Dame. That's interesting. Who else was who else was up when Manti Johnny Teo won it? Johnny won that's it. That's right. That's when Manziel. OK, Manziel, Manziel won it. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, I, I can ride. I can ride with the Indomitian Sioux choice. I'm I'm all about that. I don't know about Manti Teo over Johnny Manziel. That was... yeah, it was it was a factor of I I really believe if you want to we'll go back to that real briefly. But I think Johnny was a real product of the win over Alabama. And uh, yeah. when I That's did great. what I always do, which is I look at how they play in their five biggest games of the year. Right. Uh, Teo was incredible in Notre Dame's five biggest games, like just a monster. He was all over the field. He had interceptions for touchdowns. He was a tackling machine. He was a fumble creator. Um, he was a monster player at Notre Dame yeah. and the, the, point. the catfish stuff, um, you know, lost that, but he was, he was a, he was a monster player at Notre Dame. He had, he had like three or two or three defensive touchdowns and they were in their biggest games and they were at key moments. And, and Johnny's year, he had incredible stats, but it was mostly centered around the fact that they beat Alabama and he had a big game against Alabama. But beyond that, there wasn't much to it. And frankly, I think history, if you look at what, you know, one of the tentacles of the tenements of what tenement, what's the word I'm looking for? Tenement? No, not tenement. Sure. The one where it's like tenants. <laughs> one of the tenants of there the Heisman go. is, is character off field, all that stuff. Uh, and then you. if you look at who, who Manti Teo is, and he's still in the league, right? Yeah. If you yeah, look at who Manti Teo has been and how he's carried himself compared to John football, I feel fine with giving that vote to Teo. Yeah, no, I mean, you are making a good point. I think it was his, by the way, probably the most insane football story of the millennium. (laughs) His his girlfriend, all that stuff like that. I I really don't feel like it's enough credit. 
for the absolute insanity that it was. Um, Dude, he the, the most insane thing that on while he was in trouble and on probation and could not leave, he on on a on a off day Monday on a Sunday night after a Browns game flew to Las Vegas, put on a a mustache, and partied in Las Vegas all day Monday, and then flew back the red eye back into Cleveland Tuesday morning. Um, that that's he did that. Like that's, that's not fantastic. that's what he did. So yeah, he was a punk. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, all right. So that's ask us anything. Please continue sending those in. Those are great questions this week, and we look forward to them uh, next time. All right, brother. Good stuff out of you, and we'll be talking again very soon. Yep. Talk to you again next time.